Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. So now, let's see what it was at the prince's head. What strange obstruction lies on the bottom? But what's that? Octopus. The devil fish. Slimy, slithery, hateful. A foul monstrosity in a grotesque world. A loathsome nightmare that lurks with hideous peril for the diver. It has eight arms, snaky tentacles, each with a row of suckers that cling with a deadly clutch. It's the dread of every diver. Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. This is episode 19, the movie is Killers of the Sea. It is from 1937. All right, at the outset here, some content warnings. In this movie, there were the death of several animals, sea creatures mostly. I I think it was all sea creatures, uh, if turtles can be classified as such. Uh, So we will be discussing that And there is also a lot of casual racism in this movie. So if those are things that will be bothersome to you and you don't want to hear about them, you might want to skip this episode and we will see you in the next one. This episode adds new spaces to inappropriate bingo. I'm a little bit, I don't even have the words. You know, I'm going to try. But oh, I have some words. As I was as I was putting together the notes for this for this episode, I just really didn't even know how to describe what we were seeing because it was kind of new to me. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about our stats for this movie. Title: Killers of the Sea, year nineteen thirty seven. It is black and white. And it is a pretty difficult black and white, kind of a poor, I don't know if it's a poor transfer. I did also watch it on YouTube. That copy was pretty much just as bad. So not easy to to watch from uh, a visual perspective. The director is Raymond Friedgen. Don't really know much about him, but he did a lot of movies. And it has a 3.8 out of 10 on IMDb. How? I don't know. Um, it is about 50 minutes long. Um, uh, that's too I think long. Depending on where you're watching it, but it's about 50 minutes. So uh, that blessedly uh, short, I, I guess, is uh, what we'll say about that. So the hilarious tagline, <laughs> the man of steel, conqueror of sea monsters. And I, I put in a new category for this movie. Because it it is so bad. It is so awful. So I put in the best quote from another reviewer that is not us. And this reviewer says, Killers of the Sea is a documentary about a group of fishermen who go out to the ocean to kill and torture sea creatures. Because that is pretty much what it is and why we had the content warning at the beginning of the show. Are you ready to start on the summary for this movie, Mike? I'm trying to not keep interjecting about how terrible this all is. So please continue. There there will be points for you to break in and talk about how terrible it is. All right. I do have to start with the opening of the movie, which begins with the Star Spangled Banner. For anyone who is outside of the United States, that is the national anthem. And some, I think, stock footage runs behind it, the words, actually, (laughs) of of the song. 
And it is like stock footage of flags, the Capitol building. There's some soldiers marching. I don't know where they got that from. That was very odd. Statue of Liberty, yada, yada, yada. I don't know why the movie started that way, but it did. All right. And then it goes into the credits, which are, which roll over video taken from the stern of a sailboat, which makes sense given the movie. All right. The first thing I want to touch on is the title of the movie, which is Killers of the Sea. And as we watch the movie, you start to wonder about the dichotomy of this name. I, I don't think it was intentional, but I, but I think that we can read into it. So what I mean by that is that the, the director or whomever, whatever fine minds sat around and named this movie, probably intended that Killers of the Sea referred to the sea creatures that are in the movie, such as a hammerhead shark. But it also could refer to the men in the movie who go around killing all kinds of sea life. Some of it, I'm not even sure why they do it. So that was the first point that I wanted and to bring up. I think it's worth pointing out. So the, the, the military footage and the Star Spangled Banner in the beginning is a hint that this is meant to be seen as almost like a war film. All right, this is 30, 1937. So, you know, that puts it in some context uh, as to what sort of the, the temperature of the time is. But it's interesting because this is the the movie try. First of all, I'm not convinced it's a documentary at all. So I think this is completely I'm not either. And we staged. will get into that later as we go through the play-by-play of the show. Of the but movie. It, it is definitely trying to position this that uh, our fearless hero, that's air quotes and sarcasm, uh, is essentially at war with things that will rob America of its fishing industry. I think that's what they're trying to do. I think they're trying to associate Captain Caswell and his crew as soldiers in a war against, let's say, losing our dominance in fishing. Um, so they, I don't think it's successful, but I think that's what they were trying to do. So there is, a, it, I think it's a pretty important, it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't play well, but I, I get what, they, I think they're very transparent with what they were trying to do, which was essentially be like, look at the American way. Uh, fishing is a big part of what we do. And boy, oh boy, do we have to make sure we stop all these threats, which, by the way, are animals um, from stealing our livelihood. So I, I do think that was very intentional. And, and actually, in that light, makes a lot of sense, even though it's utterly ridiculous. But Yeah, or maybe they just needed to round it out to make it uh, five to seven minutes longer. I really don't even know. All right. So the titles, we have a title scroll. I'm not, I, I don't even, it just waxes poetic about the subject of this supposed documentary, whose name is Captain Wallace Caswell. And it says that he sails the Gulf of Mexico on a, quote, crusade against killers of the sea. And some of these killers that are listed are a tiger shark, a sawfish, and an octopus. So next we see the narrator. We go into the office, I guess, of the narrator, who goes over to a map on his wall, points out where Captain Caswell is, which is Panama City, Florida. And it he's called the man who kills the killers. <laughs> so Captain Caswell is the original Florida man. Is that what we're saying? He, oh, I didn't catch that he was Florida. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay, just yeah. check it. I mean, he is also the constable, they point out. Oh, yes. they They love pointing out that he's a lawman. Yeah. He's a lawman of men and a killer of fish. That's wild. Okay. By the way, this whole movie is narrated. There's no other voices. As near as I could tell, either the narrator does all the voices or they have somebody dub the voices. So there's no actual sound from the footage that you're watching. It's all the narrator and then some music. So they're trying to do like documentary style. Have you ever seen, do you remember the Disney movies? of sort of adventure films where you'd have sort of this kind of sort of honey voice narrator, a man always sort of just narrating everything. And, and there was a lot of like, look out, Joe, that looks dangerous. And they, they were definitely, I'm very, they've stuck with me because it was definitely that sort of style. I, I saw them Disney. They used to play them in school, actually. Obviously they were supposed to be educational, but it was a lot of like somewhat tongue in cheek, 
Uh, you know, the narrator makes little jokes, but that's what this reminded me of a lot, that they were, it's not really a documentary, it's so much like a narrative film um, that is, in theory, educational. And, you know, one of the interesting things we'll, we'll touch on is how almost nothing goes in a straight line with whatever's being said by the narrator. So he has a lot of work to do because nothing he says or sets up really matches uh and i can only assume whatever reality this is didn't quite go the way he planned so it's it's an interesting thing because if you're going to do a documentary like this where it is sort of this narrative film you would expect them to have a more control over what is shown um but instead we get sort of a muddled mess where he the narrator's constantly trying to explain setting up things and then not being able to deliver them right there's some disconnect and we'll point those out as we go through the rest of of the movie. I don't remember the movies that you're talking about specifically, but more modern nature movies will also leave periods of silence. Okay. Because you're narrating what's going on or giving some background. You're giving some context that you can't get from what you're seeing. In this film, the narrator keeps up a constant stream of like adjectives. <laughs> and so it just it's a little odd because you never get a, there's never a minute to breathe and to just watch what's going on but at the same time it is not a movie to show you the glory of the nature the point of the movie is trying to show you the terror of the nature and how we have to subjugate it and bend it to our will super fun we're this off to is, a great this start is, this, this is, is going to be fun. amazing it's yeah, what a it's what a wonderful voyage laughs. bring Barrel the kids laughs. yeah i know <laughs> great right? fun for grandma too can't yeah, wait totally all right so we go on to learn a little bit about panama city that it's a fishing town and that what's going on is that the fishermen are seeing these predatory fish are driving away the smaller fish and that um captain caswell removes some of the larger fish and then makes it makes the Gulf of Mexico a more hospitable place for the fishermen to catch fish and make their livelihood. Okay. So, I mean, that it, that kind of does make sense. Like, I understand what's going on there. It is 1937. So, we go on to learn a little bit about Caswell. He also was the son of a fisherman. And there was apparently one day where there was a shark who was ruining uh, the day's fishing for his father because it got tangled in the nets. So he apparently jumped in the water, killed the shark, saved that day's fishing, and henceforth known as the killer of killers. And then the narrator goes on to say that he has widespread fame as such, and then the video shows all of these different front pages of newspapers where they're talking about Captain Caswell. I didn't spend one minute looking for any of these, so I actually don't know if they exist. At least one of them does. I've looked them up. That doesn't mean it wasn't propaganda that was distributed and they took pictures of it. It's so it, unfortunately, it doesn't even mean anything. No, it, um, it doesn't. You, it really I mean, doesn't. they could just be props. We have no yeah. idea. You know, we don't. But know. there's certainly one of them. One of the main ones that shows him a lot. They show it in the movie is out there. It's authenticity itself. Whether or not that was a real thing is is in question. Although there's certain things that happen in this film that you're like, I don't know why you'd make that up. So it sounds like some of this <laughs> was was probably. Uh, planned and didn't go the way they hoped. The zoological name is Testitudinata, but we call them just turtles. Most archaic order of reptilian life. The Testitudinata have scarcely changed since the Cretaceous age. Cretaceous meaning a long, long time ago. Science says a turtle can live without a brain, as some international statesmen do. Caswell sets sail on aboard the princess which is his sailboat it's a two-mast schooner that is hard to say quickly and they set sail in the gulf of mexico and of course the camera crew comes along and all of this time they're talking about the marine life that they're going to go after and they're just talking that about them in all of these terms that they're they're dangerous they're slimy they're just all of these things um so that's why we say, you know, in contrast to like a real nature film where you're watching the beauty of nature, this is just telling you over and over and over again that all of these animals in the Gulf of Mexico are horrible and dangerous and ugly and slimy and 
whatever else and almost personifying them to this point that that like they're out to get you they're out to get the fishermen they're they're taking something away from these people and in in reality that might be true i mean they're animals they're just doing what they're doing and they might be getting in the way of the fishing trade and i get that but at the same time that they're animals and they're just surviving and you're the ones that built boats and went out into the ocean <laughs> and are deciding that they're in your way so that's like that's where i'm at with with the whole the whole premise of this film. yeah this is a propaganda film i right, full stop it is a propaganda film so it's like i said it's like it's sort of like a war film and by that i mean i don't mean that it's a film about war i mean it's a propaganda film made during wartime to get you to sort of support or be on the side in this case it's pro-fishing um, I don't think it makes any allusions to what it's about, which is uh, fishermen are going to lose their livelihood if these animals aren't killed or defeated in the most ridiculous way possible. One of the other things that I don't understand, how many hammerhead sharks are there in the Gulf of Mexico? I have no idea. So these men going and killing one of them, is that like, what is that going to do? How is that going to solve the problem this is what i don't understand about this well a stage for the camera but i think that i think the implication is this is a day in the life right so right i mean the movie's premise is if you can call this a movie is very much sort of a full day of sailing so this is all the so you can only imagine if they do it every day they must you know harass and hurt all kinds of sea life I mean, in their quest they're they, i mean, they just to be for the day. they're bad at it just to be clear, they are very bad at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they see a finback whale as the first animal they see. They ignore it because they say it's harmless. And by the way, Captain Caswell is shirtless the entire movie. He, They show him getting a rod and reel. He catches a marlin. But then the marlin breaks the line and gets away. Like, what's it like? He's just like fishing over the side of the boat. Bad at fishing. Yeah. So then along comes the cook. The cook is a black man. He also has one leg and his name is Evolution. I think this little scene is supposed to be funny. Evolution was also fishing and he also caught a fish. But then we see him sort of go, oops, and sort of drop, but kind of looks like throw the fish overboard. And then he dives into the water after it. It's fully clothed. It's got a hat on the whole deal. I think it was probably supposed to be funny, but it was gross and it looks staged. And the narrator does his voice in the most racist way possible. So yeah, this is this is triple layers of just awesome. toxic masculinity, racism, and animal abuse, all wrapped into all a little in burrito way. of terror and awfulness. Um, yeah. it, we, I think we were both astonished of how bad this could be. Pretty sure I guessed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, again, we've seen sort of some of the casual racism in these films, which you sort of go, you know, I don't know that they knew that, like, it was racist, but maybe they were sort of just like, that's they didn't actually appreciate how bad it looked. This is just bad. Like, somebody's going out of their way to be awful. Um, and, you know, the whole concept is just uh, it's absurd, staged, and offensive to boot. Very much so. All right, so now we're just showing the crew members. One of them has an accordion. He's playing the accordion. There's another one who's dancing. Oh, the dancing's hilarious. That's weird. It's just, it's like, just weird. I, like I literally wrote in my notes, it's he's weird. Plopping like along. It's like a sailor's jig. I don't know I don't what even, it is. I don't even know. <laughs> All right. So they come across a school of porpoises, and the narrator says, Oh, Caswell's not gonna bother with those. They're also harmless. All right. So we have Thank goodness that they clearly identify the harmless ones, because right. I, I think they probably just murder every like minnow they could find otherwise. I, for real, for, for real. So then they come across a bottlenose whale, and this is where Caswell takes off his pants, and the narrator tells us that's a sign. It means that the battle is about to begin. Oh, so Caswell jumps in the water, fights this whale with his bare hands, and he's like holding up its head and preventing the whale from going under the water and getting away. And then the narrator is just constantly going on and on about how great Caswell is. The crew throws him a line so that he can ca he can put it over the whale and they can, you know, um, haul it aboard. 
But then that line breaks. Then they get out a harpoon and they harpoon this whale. Then they take a smaller boat into the water to chase the whale. But the whale gets them gets that boat tangled in the line and it capsizes this, the, the little boat. I don't know if you'd call it a dinghy or something else, but it capsizes that little boat. And so then they right the boat, uh, but then the whale is in the boat. <laughs> get out of the boat, whale. It's just, so, <laughs> it's just so wild. So then they're trying to get the whale out of the boat and then the whale escapes. But now the whale has a harpoon in it and it also has a line attached to its tail. So I don't know that that whale is going to live very long and it is also in pain and during this whole scene um you know there's another black crew member he is again voiced inappropriately by the narrator and lots of things are said that i cannot even repeat it is it is pretty brutal and again who stages this crap this is just terrible no because it doesn't go well they don't, don't catch the whale yeah, it was, I you mean, know. I suppose that that could have been real. That was so fucked up that it could have been what actually happened, you know, but the narrator just goes on and on about how the crew is amazing, how the sea life is dangerous. He's not actually describing what's happening and it's not clear. He's just like saying a bunch of words. Yeah. So you don't even really understand what's going on. And if you're not familiar with fishing or or sailing or anything like that, you're kind of like, what? Like, what are they doing? Like, what is going on? Like, but why? that's the way that films were. They were very conscious. Like I said, there was there was definitely a strain of this type of film. Disney is the ones I remember. They used to put cartoon characters into it too. Um, I feel like one of them was a professor, a sci- duck scientist. He had an accent. He was like an Albert Einstein character. But anyway, they they definitely had these kind of films. And the idea was they were talking down to you because it was supposed to make it easy for all of us numbskulls to understand what they were talking about. So there's a little bit of sort of kind of condescending, let me tell you how it is and make it entertaining because you wouldn't get it otherwise. Um, so, you know, and look, if you have a, a, a narrator with an interesting voice, you could turn anything into anything if you just want to narrate. Uh, and I think that's what they try to do. What's interesting is the raw material is kind of terrible. So they're, Whatever narrative he's trying to tell, which sounds like competence and that they're defeating killers of the sea, uh, they regularly just screw up. I mean, they're just terrible at it between you couldn't even catch the marlin, never mind stab the shark or the the whale um, effectively. So I, to your point, I think it probably some of this was probably based off real footage and wasn't staged and they just had to work with what they got. Well, I would like to point out that Evolution did catch a fish. And That's right. he was really the only person That's right. in the entire film who, like, catches a fish, does it by himself, right. and everything is all set until they made him throw it overboard for a yeah. gag. Yeah. All right. So they then are trucking along. They catch a giant sea bass. They do pull that into the boat. There's a second one that gets away. They catch a hammerhead with a harpoon. So we're not getting the Caswell taking the pants off situation here they're just using straight up using a harpoon as they're pulling the hammerhead on board they break its back as they pull it into the boat and the you know the fish is still moving and i don't know it's not it's not great i don't want to be too sort of precious about it i mean we certainly eat meat and fish in this household but um I'm also not out there harpooning things and then letting them swim away. All right. So now evolution spots a tiger shark. More racism about how evolution is scared by this shark, which I don't see why he would be. And Casmal again is taking off his pants, puts a knife in his mouth, jumps in the water after the shark. He kills that shark with a knife, stabs it many times. At this point, they introduce an underwater camera. We're like halfway through the film here, and this is the first we're seeing of this underwater camera. That surprised me that they had that and that they used it and that they were pretty effective with it. But I did wonder how much of it was real, captured in the moment, and how much of it may have been staged in some other way. Yeah, I I mean, how can you even see half the stuff is like blurry? It's difficult. Yeah. So they bring the shark on board. The shark might still be alive when they pull it on board. We see its mouth. The narrator goes on and on and on about the teeth, 
and the mouth is moving. This is where I really got the idea of, oh, this is propaganda. This is, you're showing me this shark's teeth. You're showing me that even after Caswell stabbed it several times and they hauled it on board, its mouth was still opening. The narrator is saying, you better stay away, fellas. You know, the shark can still get you, which I'm pretty sure, like, not. Like, that's not a thing that's going to happen. The shark is not going to attack you. It was stabbed many times. At least that is what the narrator said and what we were led to believe, whether or not the sequence of events was something that took place in another way and then this was the footage that they used. Like, we don't know. So at this point, I was like, okay. I knew to be skeptical of it, but at this point, I was like, I'm not even sure that this was all their footage or that it was the actual footage of the happenings of that day. All right, now there's suddenly we're seeing a flock of birds. It's a flock of boobies. Boobies. I don't even... It's a flock of boobies. And the narrator is saying that uh, these birds feed on the smaller fish. And so where there, you know, there's a big flock of birds. So that means that they're following the fish and that where there's schools of smaller fish, there's going to be bigger fish. And... Okay, fine. Boobies. I think it was just to say boobies a bunch of times. Boobies, yeah. The boobies are the best part of the entire film. Boobies. For real. All right, so now the princess has hit something, and they drop an anchor to figure out what's going on. And at this point, you see, like, they're within sight of the shore. Uh, previously throughout all of this, I-, I saw no shore at all. Now there, you do see some shore. And while they're there dropping anchor, they harpoon a sea turtle that's the first turtle then there's another turtle and caswell jumps in the water and starts wrestling this giant turtle i don't really understand why kind of they kind of made it sound like because he felt like doing it like he felt like wrestling a turtle well they let slip around this time that they when they go on these missions they they're not just doing it for the cameras they're doing it for money um, so he talks about turtle meat and turtle shells and turtles. So they, they basically, you know, they, they're fishing for a reason. They're not just doing it to feed themselves. They actually sell all this stuff. So I think it's just, you know, they're bad at fishing. They're bad at whale catching. So they're going to, you know, beat up on some helpless turtles. Cause you, you know, that's easy money. So I think that was the goal, but it is a little bit like out of the blue, like, well, we can't catch anything else. This turtle's slow. I guess I'll murder that and sell the meat. Yeah, that was, that was a lot. All right, so now they send a diver down, which, again, I'm like, wow, they've got all that equipment on board and whatnot. It's that, what's the, what's the famous story about the the ship and um, the, the captain who's very narcissistic? 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes. What's yeah. the captain's name? Nemo. Ne- ne- right. Of the Nautilus, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, think of that. Like, that's what that this whole getup looks like, like this very Victorian looking you know diving suit yeah yeah and and okay so now they're using the underwater camera again and they're filming this diver and they're saying that the diver i you know i don't know if he's in the navy or something but he's experienced and so not to worry about him he knows what he's doing sure he is so um boobies we're seeing the bottom of the gulf and the sea life and it's really too bad that it's not in color because it would have been pretty spectacular had it been or if someone wanted to colorize it um again they're not really showing it in in a in a reverential kind of a way to to enjoy the beauty of it this whole time they're talking about how even the little fish are dangerous and they're bothering him and they're in his way and so on and so forth so he does find a shipwreck which is like also like wild to me like that's what they hit really uh-huh. Of all things, I thought they were going to say they were. I thought they were going to say they hit a turtle actually initially, but yep, I a mean, shipwreck. You know, it it couldn't have been a rock or whatever. Like, was an actual shipwreck. Trust us, it's yeah. a shipwreck. And they're saying it's around a hundred years old. Trust us, it's a hundred years old. Yeah, there was a skeleton in it. Trust us, there's a skeleton. You're not going to see it, but, but I don't. Trust us. But like, <laughs> it was difficult to see. What I don't know exactly what we were looking at. I was also trying to look at the diver before he went into the water and then while he was in the water. And was he wearing the same looking gear? Was it the same person? I couldn't really make a determination whether or not what they were telling us was actually true or whether it was two different 
situations. Okay. So the, the diver is attacked by an octopus and a turtle bites his airline. <laughs> it feels like there's like a coordinated attack. Again, again, this is what they're, this is what the narrator is telling us. We're not really seeing this. And then the narrator keeps just saying the most horrible things about the, the octopus and, you know, octopus in general. Like a slimy doom, the octopus and slimy doom. Yeah, I mean, do they regularly attack people? I don't, I don't know about that. But like, anyway, they're worried about the diver because yes, his air hose has been cut. They're saying his helmet is filling with water, and the octopus is holding him down. And so then they cut to Caswell. All right, all the other crew are like trying to haul the diver up. They're like leaning over the side of the boat. They're doing what they're doing. Caswell's like in the in the bow like doing nothing yeah doing he's like so then they show him he's doing nothing and then all of a sudden he like looks up there he goes jumps in the water again puts his knife in his belt he take his pants off you know he had this time he didn't have his knife in his mouth he had it he had it somewhere else so i don't know if he had his pants on or not captain underpants to the rescue right all right he does go down there he they tell us that he slashes the ink sack we see Something that looks like octopus ink um, spreading through the water on the undercover camera. But we don't actually see the diver being attacked by the octopus. And we don't see the octopus being killed by Caswell. All right. We just see some sort of circumstantial evidence as far as I'm concerned. All right. They bring the diver on board. Before that happens, by the way, the diver just falls over. (laughs) Just to be clear, like the scene we see is that his... Line has been cut, and he just goes, there's no gasping for air, clawing at his line. His whole body just sort of floats, well, and then he's and like... see, that brings me to my next point, is that they keep saying that his helmet is filling with water, like he's going to drown. And all I can think of is that movie Leviathan. Is that what that movie is called? Yes. Where, yeah, okay, that's all I can think of is where this, this wild premise of that you can breathe fluid because... As you know, when we were in the womb, that's what we breathe, and your body can, your lungs can learn to do it again. Like that's all I could think of is that, like the, the helmet filling up, and in Leviathan, the people panic. You panic because your body thinks it's drowning. Okay, the diver doesn't do any of that. They bring him on board. They take his helmet off. I'm not saying that his hair is dry, <laughs> but I will say that it's not like they take the helmet off and some water sloshes out. Like, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. And I didn't see that. Okay. Well, you didn't see a skeleton either, but you believe that, right? Right. right. So. In the shipwreck. And then Caswell comes on board and they like fist bump. No, they didn't shake hands. They didn't (laughs) fist bump. But, you know, then they're like, the diver's okay. And I'm a little bit like, bro, that motherfucker needs to go to a hospital and his, he might have water in his lungs and like, what? You don't just be like, oh, you almost died. Okay. I'm okay. I I don't, I don't even know what was going on there. So at this point it's, you know, I'm definitely wondering what was, what was real? What was staged? Um, Was this actually all, they make it seem like it's one day. They, they don't ever say it's not the same day. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, documentaries, they they will usually show you the passage of time so that you will see that it is a different day, different situation, whatever. That never happens. You're made to believe that this is all in one day. I don't know what's what's, what's real and what's not. Um, This movie is also another movie that's gaslighting me. All right. So now they find some sharks and now the crew pulls out a rifle and they're just Shooting the sharks in the water. Um, Yeehaw! Good old fashioned shark <laughs> Apparently to scare them off. I don't. I don't know. Um, I'm not really even sure why. So Caswell jumps in again with his knife. This time he's fighting a sawfish, and the narrator gives us uh, gives us a little insight into Caswell that starts talking about him that he's bald. He's this bald whatever, and the reason why he's bald is because he has a plate in his head because a, quote, killer gouged into his skull. And we don't know what that means. We don't know. I'm assuming it was some other animal. We're not told what it is. I did notice that he was bald. 
his head never looks as though he just looks like he's bald. He doesn't look like. <laughs> so that's what I'm gonna, you know, when I lose my hair, I'm going to just tell everybody. Yeah. A killer gouged a chunk out of my skull and I have a plate. Well, that's the reason. Yeah. Also because like, I have known people who have had that type of surgery. Um, like your hair grows back, right? Yeah. Well, just, maybe not in 1937. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, no, no offense, but he just looked like he had regular male pattern baldness. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. why was it necessary? Anyway, so he's in the water. He's wrestling with this sawfish and the sawfish gets him in the leg. He's bleeding. And then there, the narrator is going on about blood brings the sharks and la, 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 la. And then suddenly, like, that's it. That's it. We see a newsletter, a, a newspaper headline, which says something about how Caswell might be fatally wounded. There's no footage of him being rescued. There's no footage of him, for instance, in the hospital. There's nothing. Um, we go back to the narrator in his office, and he says, also, by the way, not looking at the camera, looking a- away from the camera, which is a thing that you that can that you can do like in an interview you'll have someone not look at the camera but look at the inter the person that's interviewing them and then you're sort of um the camera's like from the side but then usually you have a couple of cameras and you go between angles this is just him like talking like he looks like he's talking somewhere to your to your left um <laughs> which is a little that's a choice um so then he says well caswell recovered he's all good he's back to killing the killers and then that's it that's the end of the movie there's some chase music that's all we get the end i don't i don't even know what else to say like it's just wild the whole thing is just so wild and i also don't understand like i mean fishing is something that like it's a profession and there has always been a tension between environmental concerns and fishing, overfishing. It's a thing that's, that goes on today. We have it here in our area with um, Long Island Sound. But, like, like, I just don't quite understand the point because it's not something I think that at that time so many people would have cared that, oh, yeah, well, we better go down there and kill all the big turtles that are down. Like, I don't understand what the point of it was. But more to the point, it is the in most inefficient, dumbest way to do things. Yeah. Which is send a man who is ma- outmatched by mass, fact that he doesn't breathe water. He's not wearing a diving suit. He's not using special equipment. He's very much trying to pull a Tarzan. And I suspect there's something in here about that, right? So there's a little hint of Superman with the Man of Steel comment. Um, There's a little bit of Tarzan in there, which we know Tarzan was a huge – it was sort of the Star Wars of the time when the Tarzan movie came out. And Tarzan from Edgar Rice Burroughs was really a big deal. So the idea of a a shirtless man fighting nature – was often on the covers of those novels, right? You'd see that. You'd see a man fighting a shark. You'd see a man fighting an octopus. So I feel like there was definitely this idea that they would absolutely sort of set up this premise of man versus beast in some way that would be dramatic. Um, and not surprising, it does not turn out that way most of the time. And if anything, this whole farce serves as a really good reminder of why it's such a bad idea when he gets cut, not by a shark, by a saw sawfish, I, sawfish cuts his like leg, and he almost bleeds to death. So I, you have to ask yourself, like, it sounds to me at least, but particularly because you can't imagine that they would have, like, if you were faking everything, why would you use half the footage that you did use? Because th- there wasn't real conclusions that they essentially had some raw material and did the best with what they had, uh, set out to do a thing, and were hell bent on making it sound like a hero narrative, even though. None of it supports that. Um, And then sort of just threw in their own racist jokes along the way. So it was really like this very oddly, poorly plotted, uh, meandering failure of whatever it set out to do, uh, other than sort of pants everybody involved. And, you know, the little that I know of documentary filmmaking, 
and from the people that I've known that that are documentary filmmakers, it's really time intensive and difficult because it is not scripted and you're going out and getting this footage and then you need to gather so much in order to make something of it and that even though it is supposed to be you're capturing what's happening during the day, you probably still have a list of things that you want to make sure that you get. You know, you want to make sure that you get um, the hero shot of the of the captain. You want to make sure that you get the little, you know, they're, the man is playing the accordion and they're dancing. And you want to make sure that you get the shot of somebody's fishing and, you know, all of those those things. Because you don't know what's going to happen when you get out into the Gulf and if, if, if they might even spend a whole day out there and not see anything, like right. that's a distinct possibility, you know, and it could also be that Caswell, for instance, may not have messed with those turtles at all, except that there was a camera crew there. Right. You know, like, like, I don't know, but also why was there no footage of him after he was hurt? That should have been an easy thing to get. That would have been actually probably some of the easiest footage to 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 get and to end the movie with. Well, yeah, sure, but that's not your. You, you don't see Tarzan in a hospital. Um, you don't see Superman laid. No, but up, you could you have know. had him afterward. You could have shown him again. Oh, he's all healed, and if he's got a little scar or something, he shows it, and then you show him waving from you know the bow of the princess, like. I don't know. I, I guess I could have thought of different ways. And so so I also just wonder how, you know, the subjects of the film cooperated with yeah. all of this. Like, that's what it makes me wonder. And a real documentary filmmaker would have copped to some of these things. Yeah, I mean, said. this feels more like reality TV, yeah. early, early reality yeah. TV. It's staged. It uses real life footage, um, but it's stitched together. Uh, you know, I don't believe anything happened in the the whole scene with the octopus i think that's the dumbest scenario octopi will not normally attack someone and certainly the odds of the turtle where you just sort of see they're like the turtle thinks it's like a worm or something and somebody like shoves it into the turtle's mouth and the turtle bites it uh it just it's absurd the whole thing and and the, the trust us there's a skeleton in the shipwreck um is hilarious so i think um they started to run out of things that they were trying to do so they just basically papered over with it with narrator speech and for all we know, Caswell was seriously injured enough that he was not either willing or interested to do this, or it took so long they had to just finish, wrap the film for him to recover. Um, you know, so we don't know how, who, you know, there's very surprisingly little dialogue about what happened for real. Like the, you'd think it would all have come out. I don't think anybody's that interested. And I think it was probably an obscure film at the time anyway. Um, but uh, here we have it. And you can only look at this and just marvel at its, its absolute awfulness. Yeah, and I and I do wonder about it too because I feel like if he were this wild, colorful character known for jumping in and doing hand-to-hand combat <laughs> with all of these, you know, animals in the in the Gulf, wouldn't someone have written like a biography or something? Like, sh- like shouldn't we know more about him? I mean, I feel, I feel like you titled the book, the original Florida man, like that would have yeah. been the, t- the title of that book right there. You know, like it would, I feel like were even half of all of this true, this would have been one of those bizarre, weird facts that we saw on Ripley's Believe It or Not, or something like that. You know, this and- feels like someone said, you, you're a good swimmer. You got a knife. Let's film you and try and reinvent you as this Tarzan of the sea. And then at the end of it, he got really hurt. And he was like, no, I'm out. And that was the end of this dream. Whatever they were trying to fabricate, it feels like there was some kind of pretty horrible situation that erupted from it. Their leading man got pretty hurt and they shuffled them off stage um, because it did not work out the way they intended. So I, I'm not a Tarzan stan at all in any kind of way. Here's what I don't understand about that, though. Didn't Tarzan live rather harmoniously in the jungle? He yeah, wasn't... but the idea was he was he it, part of the Tarzan appeal was the idea that man in nature had the ability with just 
the barest essentials to overcome. So there was a lot of Tarzan murdering lions, like, cause he was sort of protecting his interests in the wild. So the idea was sort of like, I still got it. You know, I can take on any animal hand to hand. And by the way, you know, he's not the, Tarzan was not the only one. He was just the prototype, the one that was probably most popular, but there were many of these characters who would essentially fight a shark. Right. But, but I just feel like Tarzan didn't go like, well, let me go find some mountain lion caves today and see if I can wrestle some. Like, it's well, that's one not thing how the to film... protect yourself. Right. But the film's not casting it that way. It is actually saying he's essentially, it, it made up, the problem is if this film was older, it would actually make more sense. In the, even yeah. in 1937, you're just like, really? Him and his one hammerhead shark, you saved the ocean. Thanks. Um, he, he just can't possibly affect it. Like to your point, if it had been his lagoon, and he, this is his only fishing. If he's a fisherman and he's on an island by himself and he's trying to protect the fish that he has and he's like, oh, my gosh, that shark's going to drive it off. I'm going to starve. I'm not saying it's great, but I it, it's a little bit more understandable. But he's got a crew. He's a constable. He's from Florida, man. You know, he's got a lot of things going that just don't add up to this defense of these poor fishermen who need him to intervene personally with a knife against uh, sharks. So it, it is one of those things. I think they try to put that premise forward, but it does not hold up. It, it would make more sense to me if he went out with with another fishing boat, that that was their whole purpose. They're going out to fish and they said, hey, come out with us, follow us. And if if a shark gets caught in our nets, you can handle it for us. Like... That would make more sense to me. But him just going out, like I said, and these are big animals. They're big. And the amount of space that they ha- that they must have to roam in to be able to find enough food to support their mass. Okay? So it's huge. So you're just out there, tiny little people <laughs> in your little boat roaming around trying to find needles in a haystack. It's not efficient in any kind of way. You know, really just bizarre. And was the effect supposed to be that people watching this felt good? That there, that here at least was somebody who was exerting control over a wild environment that's trying to kill us. Mm-hmm. Like, was that what that was supposed to be about? I think so. I think, and certainly man versus nature yeah. Uh, in a way. I mean, that's what they were trying to. I, I don't think the, the video was able to in any way support that. But the narrative tried really hard. The narrator tried really hard to essentially say, well, look, um, you know, he's going to go out there and we're going to follow his adventures because he's out there protecting you. And look how effective. I mean, they talk about his methods, right? They say when he's got these big animals, he holds their heads above water so they can't dive, even though they they outweigh him. Uh, and I guess we're supposed to be impressed by that, right? So there's a lot of that going on. It's, the, the hilarious thing is he basically murders turtles, because so that's all you can catch. Yeah, that I didn't. I didn't love that. That was not. That was not cool, as far as I'm concerned. Now for the sawfish. So, constable, off with those pants. All right, I think we're ready to move on to some ratings for this movie. <laughs> okay, so we're going to give this movie between zero and five knives oh i like you said zero now that's good i appreciate you adding the zero in the range (laughs) and screams (laughs) and not we'll start with knives and knives will represent the body count was it scary was it gory remember these are supposed to be horror movies that we're that we're watching here or did it live up to its title i will let you go first mike how many knives Raph, I have a question. Yeah. Do we count animal deaths as murders? It's I don't know. Um, I really couldn't bring myself. I tried. I was like, I should really count the number of animals that were killed, whether we think they were or whether we think it was something that they staged or lied about. And I couldn't really count them up, um, especially because there were a few that got away. Yeah. And And... Probably did die later mm-hmm. um, because they had a harpoon in them or they had a line attached to them. So the body count was not high, 
Because also they show him wrestling a turtle and I don't think we ever find out what happened to that turtle. One yeah. of them they do kill. Yeah. But yeah. the other one, I, I don't know what happened to it. So the body count I really couldn't couldn't say. And again, not trying to be precious about it. Definitely eat meat. I've never had turtle. But watching him like do hand-to-hand combat with these animals that are just minding their own business was was kind of rough. So anyway, that's my very long explanation of the body count. Yeah, you didn't really answer. No, I so I don't know. I don't I, do, I well, don't know. Okay, let's put it this way. The deaths of the animals is distressing in a horrifying way. Yeah, oh yeah. Well that that is accurate. Yes, okay. that is accurate. Five knives. Five knives. You're giving it five knives? I am horrified by the amount of murder that we presume is real on yeah. screen. Yeah. Five knives. Okay. That you know what? I was not thinking about it in those terms and now i really don't know what i'm gonna do for my rating <laughs> but that's my point my point is yes i'm not just talking about volume because we don't always say it's volume of right. deaths right uh we are seeing animals that we consider to be innocent it's not fiction in the right in the context i was genuinely disturbed more than any movie we've watched to date right. five nights right see and i'm thinking of these ratings as kind of like a good thing I mean, you're right. It was it was horrifying because it was supposed to be true. We don't know how much of it actually was true. So there's another movie where a turtle gets slaughtered. It's called Cannibal Holocaust. It's gross. It was the inspiration supposedly behind Blair Witch Project, which was these kinds of fake, real sort of pseudo documentary films. Um, when you are compared to Cannibal Holocaust, you are really digging in the dirt for how bad this film is. Um, so and people find Cannibal Holocaust quite disturbing. For lots of good reasons. Uh, uh, racism also being part of it. So, yeah, five knives. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to have to agree with you here. I, I think I'm going to have to go with the five as well. Also because, look, if you kill a turtle because people are going to eat the turtle meat, I don't have a huge problem with that. I do have a huge problem with the idea that there were at least – two of these animals that they wounded and then the animals got away and they did not pursue them or could not pursue them in any kind of way. So these animals were left to just go and die of their own accord and suffer, which was not cool. And all because he wanted to get in the water and wrestle them. It was not efficient. It is more efficient to harpoon them and bring them in in a normal way that's and right. even though it was very difficult to watch them break the back of the one, at least that's like you have then killed it and the suffering is done and it's over with. And it is not roaming around in the ocean for a period of time with a harpoon sticking out of it. Right. So, yeah, it was pretty horrifying. All right. So, yeah, I, I see your point with this coming at it from a very different direction than we have had to do in the past for any of the previous 18 movies. And then also in a very different way that I was thinking of it. This was more of one of the reviewers that I read of this movie was comparing it to Faces of Death. I don't know yeah. if you've ever watched those movies. Maybe. I never did, but yeah, I know. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, it's really never something that should have been on film. So yeah, really, really, really awful. All right. So now that we have that... <laughs> How many glasses of wine? And the glasses of wine is, was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique moments to it? What are you going to say, Mike? Zero glasses. I wanted to throw up. Yeah, zero glasses of wine. Absolutely. I was toying with the idea of 0.5. Nope. Because I'm concerned we're at 19. We're at least going to go to 50. That's that's <laughs> the, like in the deal. We're going to go to 50. <laughs> We just watched Evil Dead re, uh, uh, Army of Darkness recently. Army of Darkness. And, and we've been liking the deal. So we're at least a third of the way through this situation, more than a third of the way through. We've not given out a zero or a 0. 0.5 rating so far. Or a five rating, I think. No, actually. we've not given out a five. For sure not. And so I was thinking to myself, it, is it time? Is it time? to give those really low ratings. I was not thinking of the five because 
I mean, your argument was persuasive and I understand where you're coming from and, and I agree with that. Thank you, my love. I appreciate that compliment. <laughs> As we unequivocally condemn fish murder together, but yes, thank you. <laughs> Probably as we go <laughs> right before we have like our next meatless Monday where we eat the fish. Yeah. But <laughs> well, and and, and uh, let's pause for that. Right. There is absolutely situations where you have native peoples who are doing what they need to do to survive and their traditions. And that is none of that is in this. Right. Even though he talks about fishing, he they are disdainful of anybody who's not a white person. He, the, near as we can tell, it's not done for actually fishing purposes. Um, it is essentially done for the camera. So even if you wanted to give it that spin, uh, it is not cast that way. It is basically grotesquerie for the sake of pushing a narrative of toxic masculinity. Um, so no, thank you. Right. Pass. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, I will also point out that we do sometimes also have true meatless at least a few times a week, <laughs> where we do not eat any. But hunters products. should be offended by this as well. To your point about yeah, breaking the backs, yeah. a hunter would a fish a good fisherman, a good hunter wants to make a clean kill, isn't going to torture the animal, no, not gonna torture isn't going to do animal. this stuff. The idea of stabbing a thing for the cameras is highly inefficient and dangerous to him, which he proved. Captain Underpants very clearly proved why this is a bad idea when the sawfish nearly murdered him. I'm really hoping that the character that you created is Captain Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> no, copyright issues. Can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So let's move on to screams. And the number of screams we are going to give this represents our overall rating. I don't know what I'm going to do. What are you going to say, Mike, about zero to five screams? I hate this goddamn movie so much. <laughs> I would burn it and find every copy I could find and eliminate it from the internet if I could remove it. It's racist. It, it involves animal murder, but, but not just fishes, just to be clear, like mammals, reptiles. He destroys everything. That poor octopus didn't deserve. I don't think the octopus was even killed, but that's it. It's absolutely uh, a lie. It's propaganda. I don't think half of it's true to begin with. The narrator's an asshole. He talks about, <laughs> he makes racist Look, jokes. Look, he probably didn't write the things that I don't said. care. It came out of his mouth. Okay, you can't look at the camera. He keeps looking at the side. He's annoying as a narrator. He doesn't even do that right. Everything about this sucks. I hate it. And it's not even a horror film. And shame on whatever jerk ass put it in the collection so that I had to watch it. Because this will haunt me till I die watching poor turtles and octopi. And I don't even know if that bottlenose whale was actually what they said it was. I don't know. That, yeah, I don't think so either. Murdered and harassed. Yeah. Zero. Zero screams. Screams. <laughs> now, well, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it 0.5. And also because I do wonder, and if I were an educator, maybe I would come around to a better way to discuss this or talk about it or frame it. I do feel bad for anybody who was involved with this because they were probably all very disappointed in the way that it turned out in the end, truly. Yeah, and they don't look great. Everybody involved does not come off great. The producer doesn't look great. The the, the documentarians don't look great. The narrator, as I mentioned, looks terrible. Um, and certainly the crew doesn't seem great. So unfortunately, whatever they were trying to do, it didn't work. And uh, because the film ended abruptly, um, I don't know if they ran out of funding or ideas, but it, it didn't work. So not convinced. Zero stars. All right, let's move on to the character that you created based on this, and I use the word loosely, film that is for use in tabletop role-playing games. Please don't say booby, but who is the character? Okay. Now, we have to shift gears here, okay? Because as much as Captain Underpants, a.k.a. Captain Coswell, Caldwell, I don't know, is Caldwell, it Cos Caldwell. Caldwell, yeah, is very offensive to modern sensibilities. In D&D terms, he's pretty much a murder hobo who kills things totally. for XP. Fits right in. That's what he does. He goes, man, if I kill that monster, I'm going to get some XP. And he totally jumps in the water and does it. And, you know, we know people who play their characters that way. We know there are people like that. 
Um, he is the ultimate sort of character who essentially, you know, single-handedly with a knife decides to go after things that he probably has no business going after. In real life, not very effective, really offensive, um, not particularly productive, and bad idea. In fantasy land where there's giant sea monsters roaming, sure. I mean, this is, again, my point about Tarzan and some of the action films that they were, I think, trying to emulate was that uh, it is a, a TV trope of a character who that knife in the teeth, barely wearing anything but their underwear and diving in the water and taking stuff on. Um, so that's, yeah. So Captain Caswell, cult Captain, I'm so used to calling him underpants. What is his name? Captain what? I can barely say his, his name. His name is Captain Caswell. His name Captain is Wallace Caswell, Caswell Jr. Yes. Captain Caswell Jr. is a uh, fierce defender of fishing uh, villages who has no regard for any kind of intelligent sea life. So in Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of fantasy games, there are actually several different species who are intelligent. He don't care. He'll kill all of them. He'll skin all of them and he'll sell the meat. So in a lot of ways, you know, he's he is he's actually a neutral character. He's not an evil character in his own mind, but he's completely uncaring and amoral. He doesn't really care because as far as he's concerned, if you are in his fishing waters, which, by the way, he defines as like a very large area of territory around the fishing villages under his domain, he will murder you. And that's what he does on the princess with his crew. He's a ranger. So he's got uh, spell like abilities that allow him to walk on water, go underwater, defend himself against sea creatures. And, you know, and he's on your side. He's great. But if you happen to be someone who has any uh, sense of morality, especially if he's dealing with uh, intelligent sea species that be it humanoid or otherwise, he has no regard for them at all. He doesn't care. He treats them all the same. And it uh, doesn't matter if they're fishing or whatever. He would murder everybody. It's a little uh, it's a little bit of the um, Anakin situation where you sort of go, wow, he really hates the sand people. Um, he's that kind of guy. Doesn't care who it is, who crosses him. He will murder them all. So he's quite the murder hobo, I think. So probably wouldn't get get along well with uh, if you have a druid in your party. It's not going to. No, no, he's definitely set up to be the kind of almost anti-ranger, right? He's sort of a ranger taken to extremes. But yeah, absolutely. I don't think your druid in the party is going to like him, which is just fine. Right. So what are his stats? I'm assuming that he's probably not very wise, but he might be strong. What about like charisma? So explain his stats to me. Yeah, he's he's uh, charismatic enough to sort of get his points across. But basically, he's he's a he's a murder hobo. So as a as a kind of swimmer and um, a stabby person, he is definitely strong, fast and has a pretty high constitution. But the other stuff is not nearly as high. Uh, in the fifth edition of D&D, uh, wisdom tends to be higher because that's also your perception. So it's not just being unwise because we think a lot of the stuff he does is unwise. He's also fairly charismatic to his crew. Uh, his crew is quite loyal and uh, would do anything for him. You know, the back end story is actually similar to his story in the in the whatever you call this film, um, except it's a sea monster that destroyed his dad's fishing boat instead of a shark. Um, so, you know, he's sort of hell bent on revenge and all of his crew members come from that kind of background, right? Which is, they've all been sort of attacked by some kind of horrible sea monster. So they're all pretty strongly loyal to him. Uh, And that's part of what makes him effective. He's not by himself. He's got a crew. He's got the, that ship, the princess, and he sort of roams the seas trying to get revenge on everything that moves. So I'm imagining that this character is going to be found, if not... In, for instance, the the ocean or the Gulf proper, that he might be found in a in a fishing village, and that these fishing villages might actually think of him warmly, and he might visit them on occasion, and I imagine to a, uh, a hero's welcome. Totally, and, and part of what he does again, let's assume that this version is efficient and actually achieves things versus being slashed by swordfish or sawfish um is you know he sells the meat right so one of the things he does they're very efficient they they're hunting um, but he's also hunting with the idea that if there's a giant sea monster he's the guy you call right he's a little bit of the captain from jaws right that everybody else you got everybody else trying to do stuff and he comes in he says none of you can do what i can do you don't know you know he's the captain ahab i can come in and, and do it so he's the guy you call when you have problems with 
uh, sea creatures that are overfishing, which by the way, you know, these fishing villages may very well uh, also say that that's actually just a competing intelligent species who lives underwater or lives on the, lives on the water. And uh, he doesn't care. He's happy to come in and do it. So he's absolutely, he's a hero. Uh, You'll find him on the sort of fishing shores and he, you know, in some ways he's actually really compelling as a villain because he's different. Um, And he's not just straight out evil. Uh, there's people who see his point of view because they, he's very useful, right? He's great to have on your side if you have some somebody destroying your fishing livelihood. Um, but if you have a character like a druid or, frankly, some characters, because, you know, fantasy games can have characters from all over the place. Anyone who's got who has any of that alternate perspective uh, will rightfully be horrified. And that's where the villainous comes in. All right. And so where can people find this character so that they can plug him into their tabletop role playing games? So we have two ways we're going to distribute it. One is it will be available for free on patreon.com slash Talion. That's T-A-L-I-E-N. We're doing that with all the villains. So this will be the 19th um, where he'll be released along with the podcast and you'll be able to download him for free. We'll actually take a snapshot of his stats and give that information and distribute it all across social media. So that will be available for free. But there's always a lot more details both on um, where he could fit in. So he's actually going to be part of a collection of, of of villains called 5e are 5e foes gothic villains and that is a companion piece to a book i published previously which is 5e rpg gothic adventures so he plugs right in there and that will be available on drive through rpg under the malintal publishing brand so you can get them both ways you can get them for free separately or you can get them as part of this collection, which we will also release at the same time as we launch this podcast, and you can download that price to be determined. And I believe it's on your Patreon. So what is that? Uh, Patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-E-N. And we'll, uh, if you are, a, that's a good point. If you are a higher tier supporter of Patreon, my Patreon, you actually get this as included as part of your package. So it's not just on drive RPG. You actually get it uh, as part of your support as well. All right, and we will put all of those links in the show notes as well as a link to where you can watch this movie if you haven't already. And I will say, I did only watch this movie twice. Uh, I watch a lot of the movies at least three times. And this one had the fewest views on YouTube. Some of the movies that I watch for the second time on YouTube have really high view counts, lots of comments, Lots of discussion on it. This one, not so much. So I can understand why. Very confusing as to why it is included in this anthology at all. But as usual, we found something to discuss in it. (laughs) Even if it was just whether or not we were going to give it zero knives, glasses of wine, or screams. All right. So, Mike, anything else to add? Please don't say boobies before we go then no (laughs) all right so that'll do it for this episode 19 of 50 date night screams killers of the sea from 1937 all right and we will catch you next time we did this for you guys folks i hope you appreciate the sacrifice Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Did you decide to stop making faces into the camera? No. So that we can record this episode today? Nope. I'm going to keep making faces and hopefully nobody on the podcast can hear them. Okay. Well, you know, you're only hurting yourself. Let's just put it that way.